The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com. Joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, it is day one of voluntary OTAs, and you have volunteered your services here on the Editor's Show. I have? What did did I do? I guess there's no choice, really, when it comes down to it, since you are... (laughs) a co-host here but we have another great uh, addition of the show for you we have a lot of news to get get through uh we're going to talk about Clyde Edwards E. Lair John you released a banger as I would call it on <laughs> arrowheadpride.com early on Wednesday talking about whether or not Clyde Edwards E. Lair is a bust spoiler alert John does not think he is a bust and some of our commenters do so we'll discuss that in the second segment And then with OTAs beginning today, I will give you the five things that I'm looking forward to the most uh, or I'm going to be checking out at the media look that happens on Thursday. So we'll do that at the end of the show. John, you can comment on my list. And we, of course, have the AP Twitter poll of uh, the day. Normally, this would be the area where I would read any ratings and reviews that we have on Apple iTunes. I'm sorry to say, John, we are without a review today. Aww. Aww. Whoever that My... fan was who loved the Great British Chief show has gotten it off his chest. We are, <laughs> I believe, hunting for him so that he could buy these guys Chiefs tickets this year. Uh, but yes, no reviews this week. As a reminder, if you leave us a, a rating and you write a review, we will read it and address it on the editor show. A number of you have asked questions that will take at the top of the show so no re- no reviews to read this week john that's a big disappointment but I'll, I'll try and get over it now uh first things first here and, and again we're going to get into the news in a few minutes and i, I just typically at our head pride we we keep it straight up chiefs straight up uh, chiefs football uh, this is a, a chiefs podcast where we're going to talk about the chiefs you're a smart listener uh, if you want to fast forward this part, uh, you know how to do that. Steve, we can even put in the description if you want what time we, we pick up with the football. Uh, I would love you to stay and, and listen to for a few minutes what we're uh, about to talk about, because I think sometimes world events 
uh, are a little bit bigger than football. And of course, I'm talking about what happened in Uvalde yesterday, Uvalde, Texas, where 19 children, mostly fourth graders, and two teachers were killed by an 18-year-old citizen of Uvalde. Uh, and I, it just uh, it hit, hit you again. This is something uh, where you, know, you start to see the photos of the victims come out, and it's mostly fourth graders. And I, I, that hit me the hardest, John, because uh, I, I think when you're in fourth grade, you haven't even really thought about thinking about like what the rest of your life is going to look like. I thought mm-hmm. in fourth yeah. grade that I was going to be an NBA player like um, <laughs> that, and it and it and in a way like, it, you know, that's funny. Right. But it's how sad is that? Right. Where you don't even know what you want to you do at your life yet. Uh, and in recent weeks, we've had now uh, black people targeted in a supermarket, Asians in a church and, and now kids. And look, I'm not going to be here on the Arrowhead Pride podcast network. And I've covered football for nine years. I'm not smart enough to figure this thing out. But uh, what I, I'd ask is like, man, what if this happened in Kansas City? Uh, and, and who's to say that, that it couldn't uh, at, at this point? And. I don't know what it is, and you know I'm not pretending to know, but we have to change something. And and I guess I had to mention it. I know Steve Kerr of the Golden State Warriors, who is a, a much more eloquent man than I am, mentioned a background check rule that is sitting in the Senate. Joe Biden, the President of the United States, this morning tweeted, "We know common sense gun laws can't and won't prevent every tragedy, but we know they work and have a positive impact." When we passed the assault weapons ban. Mass shootings went down when the law expires. Mass shootings triple. It's it's been out there that this 18 year old had purchased uh, assault rifles. Uh, it seems like there is action on the table to be taken. Uh, maybe there's more than even what Kerr and, and Biden referred to. But I just think I've gotten to a point, John, and I'll let you comment on this. And then I promise we'll get to the Chiefs. But I, can't we all agree that like Sandy Hook and Uvalde now are not hurricane names. They're, it's not a Katrina. Mm-hmm. These, yeah. are, these are names of cities that have become associated with these mass shootings. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kids who don't know any better. Uh, and I'd rather not hear uh, another town in my life and immediately have to associate it with, like, little kids dying. I reiterate, I, I'm not privy on, on what needs to be done. Um, but if you're listening to this and you've been stark on, on the other side of it, everything just needs to stay the status quo, uh, it, it would be my hope to, that maybe this bench you a, a little bit. Um, and if it didn't, it didn't. Um, but that's just kind of, it's just, for me, it was too big and too soon after this tragedy, not to, not to mention something here, John. I have grandkids who are that age. And uh, my daughter... Uh, posted on Facebook yesterday that she was in line to pick up her kids at school when she heard about this. And so, uh, and she's very upset and I don't blame her. Um, I I think this is something that um, should shock all of us, should make all of us rethink what we believe about things um, and ask ourselves, what is the right thing to do here? I don't know what it is either. I'm not, I'm not, smart enough to to answer that question either i just think that at some point we have to do something differently what that is i couldn't tell you but i think we should all be motivated 
in the face of such a tragedy to find some kind of a solution to the problem. And it sadly doesn't appear that any solutions have been on the table in recent years. You mentioned, um, you know, associating these towns with these events. And yes, we, we respond most viscerally when there are children, um, as is the case in Uvalde and in Sandy Hook. But, you know, it's just as tragic when people of any age are killed in this way. You mentioned the incidents uh, that have happened in the last couple of weeks, the, the shooting in Las Vegas uh, at a concert. Um, these things are all are, should not be part of the equation. Um, we, sh- we should live in a society where these things don't happen. And when they do, it's a rarity. Um, and I think that's what President Biden was saying today, that we can't expect all of them to go away. But I don't think it's unreasonable to figure out a way to, to minimize them, that, that that's worth doing. So that's all, that's all I have to say about it. I, 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 I have my own opinions about, uh, what should be done about it, but, um, it's not up to me. It's up to all of us. And I'd like for all of us to, to, to come to something that, that at least makes it better. That's the best we can do. And I would just like to see that happen. Appreciate you, the listener taking the eight minutes or so to just hear our, our thoughts on this thing. I'm sure you have thoughts. I'm sure everyone has uh, some sort of opinion. If you feel strongly the other way and you listened, I appreciate that. If you, chose to fast forward uh that of course is in in your rights uh so you know it's our job here to what you know we we consider chiefs football life and death but really it's an entertainment uh it's something to distract us so we're going to continue on with the editor show now and get and get to this chief's news but uh, yeah all the victims are certainly uh in our hearts at, at arrowhead pride and and regardless of where you land right on all these issues that that go into it i i think we all agree that it would be great if if we never have to talk about this type of, of thing again. Amen. All right. Let's get into the Kansas City Chiefs news. As I mentioned, it is the start of OTAs. Phase three of the Chiefs offseason program begins on Wednesday. So that means that these voluntary workouts that are organized and include, John, and I'll read it here, no live contact. Uh, there is a little contact, but it's, it's not, you're not supposed <laughs> to. Uh, it's hard to avoid in football. But seven-on-seven, nine-on-seven, and 11-on-11 drills are permitted. What they mean by contact is tackling. Uh, Article 22 of the CBA stipulates that clubs may hold one mandatory minicamp for veteran players. This minicamp, noted below, must occur during phase three of the offseason program. So the dates on this are this week, Wednesday and Thursday. Next week, the 31st to June 2nd. That's Tuesday through Thursday. And then June 7th through the 10th. That is Tuesday through Friday. And then we get our mandatory mini camp where veterans have to be there on Tuesday, June 14th. And that runs through Thursday, June 16th from as far as media looks go. So if you if you want to know when we'll be talking to these players and I will be tweeting out observations, it starts tomorrow, Thursday. We'll get a, a look. We can only tweet out so much. There are some rules that go into that, but I'll try to try to do my best there. And we'll speak to players uh, Thursday, tomorrow, the next three Thursdays, and then every day of mandatory minicamp. And then we're shutting this thing down uh, until training camp. Uh, it's crazy how fast this goes once this day happens tomorrow, but it's exciting. 
And we're going to get our first look at some of these rookies now mixing in with the veterans starting on Thursday, John. Well, it, it this is the part of the season that uh, is hardest to to take in because we don't get to see it as directly. But it's one that we eagerly await because it's our first opportunity to find out uh, more about these young players that the team has brought in during the draft and undrafted free agency. So it's a very exciting time. I, I'm looking forward to, to getting the reports out of uh, camp tomorrow and or not camp, but practice, I should right. say. Um, and, uh, and, and learn more about what we know and what we're going to find out again to, to tease segment three, I'll be counting down the top five things that I will be looking for as my media look begins. And all of the chiefs media look begins on Thursday. We'll do that in segment three, right before we do our Twitter question, but let's continue on with the news, John. This was a, a, a bit of a shock. Uh, I think in, in a, in a distant way, similar to how we opened uh, our, our program here, but Legereus needs car was shot up in Louisiana. I think anytime you see a, a player of any sort and shot up, it's, it's typically not a good sign. Uh, but right away it, it came out a, a statement from Legereus needs agent that though his car was shot up, he wasn't in, in the car. He was accused of, of no wrongdoing. And there was a statement from the agent, as I said, a random and unnecessary act of violence occurred while Mr. Sneed was visiting home, his hometown of Minden. Uh, that's in Louisiana. No one was injured, but gunshots damaged his vehicle. He was briefly questioned and released without incident. There's a $5,000 reward for information that leads to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for this act. Please contact the Minden City Police Department Detective Division with your information. This was at the end of last week, and we really got no additional information. So it seemed like maybe there is nothing really more to know mm -hmm. other than this yeah. was a dangerous situation. Sneed's car was involved. I think, of course, this leads you right away to the story that came out last year where his brother uh, was killed and he ended up missing a, a game because of it, another tragedy. And, and it's, it's a tough, um, it's obviously a tough upgrade bringing for Sneed and, uh, it seems like when he does go back to home to his hometown, and this is his hometown, you can't blame him for going back. But uh, this, it, it seems like maybe that he, he needs to be a bit more careful, or or you know, there has to be some kind of uh, security or something. It, it's a tough situation all around. You hate to see this type of thing. I've been uh, noting that a lot of people have mentioned he should just not go back to his hometown, and I don't think that's a reasonable expectation. I think all of us would want to go back and spend time with our hometown, with our families. Um, yeah. if we were in a situation like Legarius Sneed is, um, you can argue that he could move them elsewhere, but again, that's, that's not as easy as it might look on the outside. And, um, I, I don't know the circumstances of this. If I were in his shoes, I wouldn't loan my car out to other people, but that's his call to make, you know, uh, and maybe if he'd been driving it, he'd have been in the middle of it. And that would be even worse from our perspective. So yeah. it's it's a tough situation. And and I don't know what the answer to it is, um, you know, other than, you know, our society being different, like we talked about before. Yeah, I, I think my grand takeaway is just you're just happy that this story wasn't worse. We don't know enough right. details mm -hmm. yeah. as to... We don't. We don't know any details as, as to with Sneed and are there any lessons to be learned. But if that's the case, I'm sure that Andy Reid is going through them with him. It's just yeah. it's such a story where we don't know. And, and we are just happy that everyone in the situation was OK. And so I just wanted to cover it as part of our, our new segment here. Moving on to the next story. ESPN's Lewis Riddick said he has his eye on Chiefs rookie right tackle Darian Kennard. 
John, one of John's personal favorite rookies. I know that. <laughs> uh, for more context on this, uh, Riddick tweeted out his favorite non-first-round selections from the 2022 NFL draft that could be major impact players by year three or sooner. He said he tried to not just pick obvious second-rounders. Why is this important with, with Lewis Riddick? We've noted it before. He has a very close relationship with Chiefs general manager Brett Veach, dating back to their days a decade ago with the Philadelphia Eagles. These guys are constantly talking. So if Riddick is saying that, and he just doesn't talk to the Chiefs, but if when it comes to the Chiefs, you know he's talking to the top guy. If Riddick mm-hmm. is saying that, that means that the Chiefs are considering Kennard to be a, a full-fledged competitor here in this right tackle bat- battle. To our credit, John, you know, you got to pat ourselves on the back. We've been all over this. I've been calling him potentially the favorite from the beginning. I think this only helps that case in a sense. And for what it was worth, Riddick actually interacted with us when he saw that we were covering uh, this and saying that it that when we we say that watch who watch which Chiefs Riddick talks about, he said facts on that. And then he said that he feels Kennard could start in year one remains to be seen. Worth noting here, he's been on Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith before first. Mm-hmm. He's also been on Noah Gray and Cornell Powell. So this isn't a 100% right. type of hit and analysis type of deal. Uh, but I, I do think it it just continues to boost the prospect of Kennard starting at right tackle as a rookie. Well, and he's getting his information from Veach, obviously. That's the point that we're making because he's got this long-term relationship with him. And what that meant last year was that uh, the Veach and the rest of the Chiefs thought that Noah Gray and Cornell Powell were going to be good players for them. Uh, obviously, they thought that or they wouldn't have taken them on. And uh, sometimes those those judgments are not correct as they turn out. To, you know, they don't turn out as well as, as they thought. That's going to happen sometimes. But in this particular case, um, it's made more obvious that they consider him to be a guy who's in the mix as the potential starter. Um, you know, which, which is not what Riddick said about Noah Gray or Cornell Powell last year. Uh, he just thought that they were going to be potentially very good players based on what Veach was telling him. And right. if Veach is saying, yeah, we think this guy is going to be in the mix as a starter, then I think that that says a lot about how things are going to start looking uh, starting tomorrow, actually. As soon as tomorrow, we could start seeing uh, Kennard out there with the first team and uh, learn a lot more about uh, what the Chiefs are thinking about it. Oh, my God, John. Do you really want to ruin segment three? Is that what you're trying to do? Yeah. <laughs> save things for the rest. Well, of I don't know season. what's in it. So so if I'm doing it, it's, it's, right. it's completely, uh, right. completely an accident. Pulling the curtain back, I did not tell him my counting of five for <laughs> the show, for the benefit of the show. So you don't know that. Maybe that's one of the questions, hint, hint. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. More news. And, John, you could take over this one because this is something you covered for us. Melvin Ingram's Dolphins contract isn't quite uh, as rich as it was originally reported. Yeah, this contract was reported as a one-year deal for $5 million. And it is a one-year deal for $5 million. But more than a million dollars of it is in not likely to be in earned incentives uh, that will count against uh, the salary cap next year if Ingram earns them. Now, this matters because... Uh, The presumption made by um, every reporter on the planet, apparently, except yours truly, uh, was that the Chiefs (laughs) had made a four point four million tender uh, to Ingram. And if that were the case, why didn't he just take that? 
that $4.4 million on the table rather than take a contract that would guarantee him less than that. And so the ultimate answer to this is that that's not how much the tender was, as I have said right from the beginning, right. uh, that the math, was, it, the math has been incorrect about this and that it had to be at least $1.8 million. It could have been more, could have been even as much as $4.4 million. But again, if that were the case, he probably would have signed it the day after the draft rather than go out and find another team to play for. Um, you can argue that Ing that Ingram wasn't very happy here, but I, and maybe he wasn't, and maybe yeah. he could be in a situ situation where he was uh, fit in better with a defensive scheme with another team. But I think that at a player who is Ingram's age is more likely to stay someplace than go someplace. And especially when the team in question uh, isn't the Kansas City Chiefs who will be Super Bowl contenders uh, this year and for years to come. So I personally yeah. think this just showed that the math on that original contract tender was off. Yeah, kudos to you for, for saying that. I know that Jared did a nice job going on to Twitter and giving you credit for that because uh, I think it was universal in the Chiefs media Twitter community that this tender was in that $4 million range and, and it clearly was not. I also think this is a good time to say this. This offseason for the Chiefs, it, it's it's just a good reminder that that this is not Madden. So, mm -hmm. yeah. On Madden, you pay Tyree Kill in the $25, $26 million range and you offer him a fair contract. Uh, that actually in Madden terms would be way more than Madden is used to giving. He signs it in this season mode that you have. Melvin Ingram, probably because he played for you last year, you could have worked it out and he would have signed for a fair deal in Kansas City because the of what goes into that. But you've got to remember, like, Tyreek Hill's a person. Part of him wanted to really play in Miami. There was a lot of it that mm -hmm. was because of the money, a, a big part of it. But he really, his family was in Miami. He wanted to go down there. He wanted to play in Miami more than Kansas City. And I think you see a little bit that, that with Ingram. Uh, I don't love to admit this. I don't like the extreme heat. I'm, I'm just saying that. But some people <laughs> like the Florida weather more than the Kansas City weather. I'm a season guy. That's why I like Kansas City. I'm from New York. It's a four-season community, just like KC. Well, KC sometimes has the two-week summer, or I should say the two-week spring. It's more like two, nine seasons, two really. Two-week fall, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we go back uh, and back up. It, it's it's variety, which I like. That's what I'm getting at. Ingram, he's, he's in the latter part of his career. Maybe he wanted to play in Miami. There is something, too, also, it's and possible. I saw this out there, is the, the tax, right? Uh, in Florida, there's less of these tax requirements where you could, for the same amount of price, keep more of your money. And so I think just it's just a good reminder that we want to assume that if Brett Veach makes all the right moves, that everyone is just going to continue being Kansas City Chiefs when these are people. And I, and I think this these two in particular were just like good examples of yet. Not only do you sort of need to do all that Madden stuff, which does a great job simulating what is a franchise, but mm -hmm. in real life, you got to convince the man mm -hmm. that he should come back to your team. And sometimes it's just not going to happen. Uh, and and I, I think we saw that with these two cases. Well, I think also, too, that I don't think the Chiefs were really interested in paying Ingram that much money for the production he brought to the team. Yes, 
the team was a lot better as soon as Ingram came on board, but it wasn't just because of him. There were a lot of other things that happened at the same time. One of them uh, was that his presence allowed uh, Chris Jones to move back out and play on the outside, on the inside, excuse me, back in and play more on the inside than he had been. That certainly was a result of his coming here. And yes, he was a veteran presence that made a difference on the team. But is that worth what the Chiefs were reported to be offering him $4 million? I don't think so. They only paid him $600,000 last year. And you can't blame him for trying to get a really good deal uh, on a player like Ingram again. And uh, so, you know, you're making a good point. and, And you're not wrong that those things are part of the equation. But more often than not, it's about the money. And so we have to look at that first and foremost and then think, look at the other things as potential uh, factors in the decision, in, in my view. anyway, The benefit here is because of the tag, the Chiefs add him to the comp mix. And right. they're already getting a comp pick because of Ryan Poles, who's a, a black man. He went to Chicago to be the GM. That happens for two years. And now, based upon the formula, it is projected that they should get another one. So that because of this tag, which was a really shrewd move by the personnel department. And something, John, I, I'll say this too. Like, I'm just surprised we don't see more of those tags. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Well, we saw two this year, which is Justin more Houston than usual. as well. Right. 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 And uh, maybe we'll start seeing more of them. And, and honestly, you know, I made this big thing about people miscalculating the thing. And um, I, I'd never heard of it myself. So, I had to do some fast dancing on the day to ha- the, the day that it happened mm-hmm. to figure out exactly what was involved, how it worked, you know, how the math worked, et cetera. It was new to me. I didn't yeah. even know that it existed. Yeah. I'd never heard of it before. And I think that was true for most reporters. And I think that in their, their, their rush to get some information out there, they didn't follow up and look exactly at how Ingram's contract under which he played in 2021 was structured. It's an honest mistake. We all make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time, personally. Yeah, no. And, uh, no. and it, you've it, told me before you use pens instead of pencils because you never make. <laughs> yeah. Well, I use pens that have erasers on them. They have those okay. special yes. ink, ink erasers on them. Very nice. I mean, people make mistakes, and I think that happened here, and the mistake got multiplied across multiple platforms. And um, and, and you know, I got it right this time. Some other time, I'll get it wrong. You know, but right. in in this case. I think it just was an unfortunate mistake that got multiplied across many sources. I don't know what's going to happen here with the veteran defensive end market. I I still would like to see the Chiefs add to that room, but mm, Clowney, yeah. came, Clowney came off, went back to Cleveland. So at this point, it, you, you sort of are wondering what's out there. I, I think a, a golden time to watch, as I've said for a while now, is after mid-June uh, when these guys don't have to feel like they can – need to come in for mandatory minicamp or even the, the voluntary mm-hmm, right. workouts that are starting now. Uh, let's move on to the next thing. Uh, running back Daryl Williams finally has a job. It's with the Arizona Cardinals. Interesting thing from Jordan Schultz, who's on this story. Jordan Schultz has had a nice offseason breaking some things. Um, really doesn't have a, a, a media group he's with, so it's sometimes odd to, to write it up for AP. Anyway, Daryl Williams signs with the Arizona Cardinals, and he, he mentioned that Patrick Mahomes, it seems like, called Cliff Kingsbury to vouch for Daryl, who really was one of the better pass protectors in the running back room, if not the best option for the Chiefs, which is why you would see him in on a a lot of important passing downs. I think 
this story interests me in the sense that the news out there was that the Chiefs wanted Daryl back originally. This was back in mid-March. Mm-hmm. It seemed like Daryl didn't really want the Chiefs back. That goes back to my Madden point, you know. Uh, and who knows if that was from a fit standpoint, thought he wanted to be a starter from a money standpoint. We don't really know exactly. But then it takes over two months for him to sign. And I just wonder if there is an aspect of Williams that regrets that because now he goes to Arizona where they love James Conner. You know, he's an mm-hmm. older player. And it, it really, I think, more so than Kansas City, which has become this committee situation, I think it might take some kind of injury or something to Conner, which has happened in the past, uh, to get Daryl going. And maybe, you know, maybe he he waited and, and it's the right situation and things will break his way. You never root for injury, right, of course. But, like, they use Conner quite a bit, and especially in big-time situations. And I, I just wonder if... He regrets not coming back to Kansas City. Kansas City, of course, pivoted after that, getting Rojo, Ronald Jones, and free agency. Derek Gore is already around. Uh, Little Poppy, Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round, and then Jerry and Ely, who really is interesting to me in that room as an undrafted free agent. I put a poll up, John, on this post for us, and I, I, I asked our, our readers, if you can only have one of these players on the 2022 Chiefs, who would you choose? I listed Rojo and Daryl Williams, 62% said ronald jones we got about 2300 votes hmm. uh, interesting i i i'm i was a little surprised by that i thought it'd be a little bit closer to 50 but i i think you could definitely say that ronald jones has more upside than daryl it's not like we didn't see daryl in situations where he became the starter due to injuries to clyde edwards Alaire, who we're about to talk about next segment you sort of knew what daryl was and you sort of mm-hmm. knew what daryl's ceiling is and i just think there's more hope maybe tied to ronald jones well, I agree. I, I, it's always surprising to me. Uh, you know, Edward Zolaire has had controversy attached to his name ever since he was drafted, since the moment his name was announced. And uh, so I'm kind of surprised that uh, that our readers uh, didn't have a higher opinion of Williams, because that's usually what happens when you've got controversy surrounding your starter. The guy who backs him up is is given a lot of credit that sometimes isn't deserved. Although in this case, I agree. I think that that Williams showed that he was a, a solid um, starting caliber player. He did very well when he had to do so, uh, and it took him a little while to develop, but uh, but he did, and has found himself a role with the Cardinals. I'm also a little surprised he didn't find uh, another place to land until now. But uh, this is how it happens sometimes. You just never know. Daryl is one of these guys who, now that he's in the NFC, you could kind of root for and, and see what happens mm-hmm. with him. Yeah. And that can happen after week one because the Chiefs visit the Cardinals <laughs> as they open up the 2022 NFL season. Yeah, you can, you can start rooting for him on September 15th, not on September 11th. <laughs> Travis Kelsey, he's bringing back Tight End University for year two. If you're wondering what Tight End University is, it is this Tight End Summit where more than 50 tight ends. They all met up last year. You've seen other positions do this. I know that there is a kicker summit that is pretty popular. So the tight ends have done this and it's become something that Kelsey and George Kittle and Greg Olson uh, have put together. And it is a popular thing that has gotten sponsors. So when things are getting sponsors and people want to sponsor it again and you get more sponsors, you're going to do it again. Uh, more than 50 tight ends went last year, including Kelsey and tight end Blake Bell. I know there were a lot of fans out there asking, why did Noah Gray not go? I don't know. I hope Noah Gray goes to 
year two. But as George Kittle was promoting this, there was a moment this week where I think a lot of Chiefs fans were like, George, man, shut up. Because (laughs) what George said was that Kelsey deserves to be paid more. And he makes a pretty good case. I'm going to read the Mm -hmm. quote from Pro Football Talk. Travis Kelsey, six seasons in a row, 1,000 yards. I'm pretty sure he has the most receiving yards over any wide receiver skill position in the last six years. George had done his homework, of course, because this is a money thing that affects him, too. Uh, He continued, Kelsey gets paid half of what a wide receiver makes, which just boggles my mind. I mean, to me, Travis Kelsey, he's been doing it for so long at such a high level, and he doesn't have an off game. I think he has one bad game a year, and it's because he's getting triple teamed. He's a player I look at like, when he gets the ball in his hands, he's a monster. More tight ends and more tight ends are starting to get the ball more, starting to be more of the offense, be more explosive. I love watching Darren Waller, Mark Andrews, Zach Ertz in Arizona. That's just fun to see him get or kind of dominate, get a lot of touchdowns. TJ Hawkinson, Robert Tunyon. There's all these tight ends. They're explosive and fun to watch. But Kelsey, when you have six 1,000-yard seasons in a row, you're a hell of a football player. And so here you have George Kittle, and this is coming as a result of – what we're deeming the 2022 offseason wide receiver explosion. The Chiefs fans mm-hmm. know well that yeah. saw Tyree Kill go from a player the Chiefs were definitely going to sign to trading away, which is unbelievable that that happened as a result of a market change. But you have these wide receivers in the 25 to $30 million range, and if you really look at the tight end annual salary per year, it's about half that at $15 million, which is what Kittle was saying. Now, there's some things to know about this. Kittle is 28 Kelsey is 32, so he's a little older. Not that Kelsey has shown any signs that his production is going to stop, but Kittle has a, I think, agenda here in saying this. He is primed to what would be signed a, a much more lucrative contract. But I, I wonder about his points because tight end is a position in the NFL that we've seen some sustainability even after the age of 30. Kelsey's going to be 33 in mid-October. And what this made me think is, okay, they have a point. I don't think they need to be paid like wide receivers because I think just the ceiling of the wide receiver position is just so much higher. However, it does feel like some of these tight ends deserve some kind of goodwill adjustment. And maybe it doesn't happen this year for Travis Kelsey because he is tied to this number until 2026, which is years away. But maybe sometime in the future, you could see this friendly boost of, well, you're the most important pass catcher on our team now. And and I wonder if the Chiefs might be thinking about that already. Well, in a sense, Kelsey is already getting that next year. He's actually at a pretty low cap number um, at this time, comparatively speaking. Next year, it goes up by a substantial amount. It's like in the $14 million to $16 million range for the, next, uh, the, for the rest of the contract starting next year. So in a yeah. sense... He is going to get that pay raise next year without doing anything. Um, so, uh, you know, in a way, the Chiefs have already anticipated this, uh, that they recognize that that Kelsey is, a, is an important player for the team. But I think it's also important to note that, that there are plenty of tight ends out there that are being productive as receivers. Right. Uh, and you've named all of them. But the position is still not necessarily driven by uh, pass catching across the league. It's getting more and more that way. There's no question about that. And players like Kelsey are making that happen. But 
you know, a tight end who functions more like, say, Blake Bell does. Right. Uh, more as a blocking tight end is never going to make that kind of money. That's just the way it is. It's going to be the tight ends like Kelsey and Kittle and Mark Andrews and Zach Ertz are the ones that are going to be making those kinds of salaries. So it's, it's kind of a, it's an interesting argument. It's an interesting discussion to have because uh, unlike wide receivers who all are out there catching passes, uh, tight ends have different roles on different teams. And in the case of the chiefs, they have a guy that can do both of those jobs really well. Yeah. And to be clear, and this is to, to Kittle's point, he was talking about the tight ends that, are used like receivers. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was right. saying this right. position needs to change, but if it gets a little top heavy, it does get interesting when you talk mm-hmm. about like, even in let's say franchise tags, right? Well, a lot of tight ends and we're talking about the top tier Waller, Andrews, Kelsey Kittle have a reasonable, I think, you know, way to say, look, we should be tagged as receivers in a sense. Uh, Cause mm-hmm. you know, it's a much now it's a much higher number than it, than it would be. But not every tight end can say that. So with that in mind, like when it came to the tag, you'd you'd almost have to get some rule changes and, and stuff with that because the tight end position is dynamic. You have these guys uh, that are, you know, these receiving tight ends and you do have the classic uh, blocking tight ends that really is just as important to a team. But certainly they're a little bit more replaceable. So they really shouldn't even be in that category. So is there a new category that needs to be made for this type of player? You know, or or have a tag indoors box in a sense. You know what I mean? Or, or, right. Or in, a, in the case of a tight end, perhaps in some positions, it's it's also tied to statistics. If you get so many targets in a year, uh, then the franchise tag is different than it would be if you aren't targeted very often. Now, there isn't another position like that anywhere um where where the statistics enter into the the franchise tag calculation but maybe tight end is the one where it could where we could actually see that at some point that's an excellent point rookie receiver sky Moore attended the rookie premiere a huge marketing event for mostly offensive rookies so if you're wondering why the chiefs top two picks and trent mcduffie and george karloftis weren't there it's because the rookie premiere is all about offense baby and out of this came Sky Moore's first shoot in a Chiefs jersey, John, and he's wearing the number 24. And this has been a little bit of a topic of discussion among Chiefs fans on, on social media and, and some on our, our website. Some people don't like the number 24 in a receiver. To me, it does look a little weird, but I, I don't really care about it. I, I feel like if Sky Moore goes out there, let's say week one, and has 110 yards and a touchdown... I think Chiefs fans are going to be okay with whatever number he's winning. <laughs> well, you're sounding more and more like an old man, a guy like me, Pete. Oh, well, no. this isn't the number that wide receivers have, have always had, so you know it doesn't look right to me. Uh, uh, get off my lawn, blah blah blah. I do. I have. I have for a few years. I, you know, I'm, I'm in my 30s now. Uh, for a few years now, and at the beginning, I, I did feel older. I think as you get closer to your mid thirties, that's when you add the crotchety. And so I'm starting to <laughs> add some crotchety qualities. And this might be a, uh, one of these yeah, topics okay. that where it's a little crotchety. Yeah, what, whatever you say, Pete. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I have no problem with number 24. Uh, it does look weird. It does look a little weird, but yeah, it does. He likes it. And, and if he's a great player, we'll all get used to it. So. Absolutely. 
All right. Want to do a quick roundup of what's happening at these NFL spring meetings. First, when it comes to specifically the Kansas City Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy was part of what the NFL called its first ever NFL coach and front office accelerator program. Uh, what the league tried to do here was take two diverse head coach and general manager prospects of each organization, travel to the spring meetings, which were in Atlanta, and then what it was is a, it was a grand seminar of continuing to try to get a lot more diverse candidates in a position where they're getting FaceTime with NFL owners and learning about leadership and some of uh, the things you may have to discuss in, in an interview setting to, to land one of these positions. And it's a continued effort to have the NFL address this problem, which is just a, a complete lack of diverse representation when it comes to these positions. And they're trying everything. I, you know, um, I, I don't know if any of these things will necessarily work, but I think you have to commend the league for, for doing something, trying something uh, when it comes to this type of thing. Well, this is another topic that everybody has an opinion about it, and some of it is politically charged, so I don't want to get too deep into it. Um, but yes, the, the league wants it to change, and they're right. trying things to see if they can get it to change. We'll just have to see if they work. Speaking of this type of effort by the league, the NFL shifted the Rooney rule. So the Rooney rule will now include the quarterback's coach. And that means whenever a quarterback's coach uh, position opens up, at least one diverse candidate will have to be interviewed. And the spirit of this is the sense that a lot of the offensive coordinator positions come from the quarterback's coach and a lot of offensive coordinators become head coaches especially in today's NFL where it gets more and more likely for, you know, these positions to come from um, the offensive side of the football. Uh, and so again, just trying to help with those efforts. They adjusted the hiring timetable, which actually is something that helps be enemy where it, no, no coaching staff member of another team can be interviewed until after wildcard weekend. The enemy has had this because the Chiefs are wildly successful. They've made the final four of the AFC title game four straight years where he would wait till he's done to interview. And by then, other candidates could be on their second and third interviews. So now this pushes the timetable back, especially for these teams that are successful. The NFL Combine is staying in Indianapolis, and the NFL is working on a new idea for the Pro Bowl. Uh, and they've even discussed getting rid of the game which they need to. I remember there was a Sunday before the Super Bowl, the six Chiefs decided to go this year, and it was not football. I mean, that, there's no other way to say it, and it hasn't been football for a while now. These guys don't want to injure each other in a showcase game after the year, and so they take the gas off. It quickly became two-hand touch, and so now you're seeing things considered like maybe a Madden type of simulation. It could be a skills competition. They're going to find another way to celebrate these players that were voted to the Pro Bowl. You know, I think it all started with that uh, thing where they did the the playground pick of the teams where it wasn't AFC versus NFC. Mm -hmm. At that point, I felt like that was the first moment when the players stopped taking it seriously at all. I mean, obviously, they had been taking it really seriously for right. a long time. But at that moment, I think the players thought, yeah, we don't care about this anymore. No, there, there was certainly a, a shift at, at that point. And I, I just think it's a general energy of, you know, people are going to get injured when you play real football. I mean, it happens every week. It happens a lot every week. So 
I think in in the changing of the times where it's just like less pride no matter what type of football game you're playing. A lot of these guys on different teams are friends. And we've talked about in recent episodes how Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are friends, which is a weird thing to say and uh, wouldn't exactly be palatable to old school football. But it's just, again, it's a it's a case of the times. The game stinks. And so they have to find a, a, another way to celebrate the players. And it's nice to see that they are doing that. All right. One I just would like to say they might get rid of the game, but they're not going to get rid of the honor. You know, right. they're going to players are going to be voted to this Pro Bowl and they might still call it being a Pro Bowl player just for tradition's sake. Right. So the game may disappear, but the honor is still going to exist in some way, shape or form. And I think that's important to mention. I could see it just being a skills challenge type of weekend that includes what would be an e-simulation of the game that's broadcasted. And uh, again, it's not necessarily my cup of tea, but esports have become a rapidly growing industry. And, and you could see maybe the Pro Bowl played on a, a version of Madden or something else like that. All right. When we come back, we are going to discuss Clyde Edwards E. Lair and John's banger of an article posted Wednesday at Arrowhead Pride. Stay with us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. John, we're going to turn it over to you here for, for this segment and just have an open discussion about Clyde Edwards E. Lair. You posted an article to arrowheadpride.com on Wednesday, and needless to say, it got the people going. Your take on the matter is that there's too much conversation about Clyde Edwards E. Lair and his third season here being a draft bust, and he is far from a bust. So I'll let you take over. Yeah, I think this all comes from a lot of misconceptions about how things in the draft work, and I think some of those um, go back a long way and are going to be hard to get people off of the, these views, starting with the the traditional draft chart that says that a, a, the first overall pick is worth twice as much as the 33rd overall, overall pick, you know, the, for the first pick of the draft being worth twice as much as the first pick of the second round. That logarithmic scale isn't reflected in reality, as, uh, as I showed when I was working on uh, creating a more uh, relevant draft pick value chart and the work I did uh, a month or so ago on, on Arrowhead Pride. And so I think part of the trouble here is that people got this idea in their heads that the Chiefs should never have invested 
this valuable first round pick, which was just one pick removed from being a second round pick on a running back. And therefore right. everything that Edwards Hilaire has done since then has been suspect mm -hmm. and has been subject to more scrutiny than another player might be. In fact, you know, 18 running backs were taken in the 2020 draft the same year as Edwards Hilaire. And he shows up well against all of them. Yes. Um, Jonathan Taylor leaves him in the dust in terms of performance, but that doesn't make Edwards Hilaire a bust. It just makes him less valuable than Taylor has been. And he's right there with uh, three or four other players in terms of what he's provided to the team. You know, has he been a disappointment? Has he missed more games than we would have preferred um, because of injuries? Absolutely. And that has affected his, his production as a running back. Is it upsetting that he fumbled in two games last year and essentially cost the Chiefs two losses last year? Yes, that's absolutely upsetting. And those are things that, that should matter in our evaluation of the man. But to act as if he hasn't been a valuable contributor is just crazy because he has been. Has he been a star? No. But he's not a bust by any reasonable uh, expectation, any reasonable use of the word. I think a lot of times people get this idea in their heads about a player right at the moment he's drafted, and then then they just can't get off of it. And I think it's important if we're going to be fair about how we evaluate these players that we base it on what's actually taken place rather than what our expectations might have been. Yeah, I I want to just say so. I, I read the piece and it's and it's a great piece. So I encourage you if you haven't seen it to to go into arrowheadpride.com and and read it. I don't disagree. I all I I and I especially don't disagree because I I just think he's been hurt by injury. And we right now I think it because it happened as has happened twice. We're just going to assume it's going to happen every year of his career. And and look, it, maybe it will. Maybe he's just undersized and he's yeah. going to get injured. Possible. Uh, and that'll play into well, you know, you took a first rounder. And as you eloquently mentioned, with the number 32 overall pick, so if he's number 33, he's a second rounder. So that is worth saying, too. But you took a first rounder who's injury prone. I think there are some fans that are, that are frustrated with that. And I think also, too, what has hurt Edwards E. Lair, and, and not, not to say that this makes him a bust, but Jonathan Taylor is an absolute tank. And mm -hmm, in my right. opinion, eye test-wise, and, and with the Lions, DeAndre Swift has had some of the similar issues. DeAndre Swift looks like a better back and Cam Akers looks to have more upside, yada, yada, yada. And you're, of course, going to be compared to all these second round running backs that were drafted, because presumably if the Chiefs took player X in round one, they could have had any of these guys uh, and took taken him in the same slot. And so it's part of football. I mean, we're doing it right now with, with Trent McDuffie and uh, Kair Elam. We do it with Mahomes and Trubisky and, and Watson. Uh, we've seen it with quarterbacks, of course, you're compared to the people in your draft because those players are outstanding doesn't necessarily make Clyde Edwards E. Lair a bust. What I'll right. say is this is as well. I think you're right, but I, I don't necessarily think the people that call him a bust are wrong and I don't think they're wrong. And I'm I'm, I'm going to get on the Chiefs here a little bit. I'm usually pretty pro Chiefs. This is Arrowhead Pride. The Chiefs created this narrative. Yeah. They on did. night one of the NFL draft by immediately comparing him to Brian Westbrook by floating out to Lewis Riddick, how 
everything Clyde did at LSU is going to translate immediately to the NFL. Peter Schrager said to take him number one overall as a rookie in fantasy drafts. We don't have to get into fantasy football, but what that means is he's going to produce like Christian McCaffrey was at his height, which is in the 2000 scrimmage yard range. And this was created by the Chiefs. They didn't need to necessarily do that. And so when they created this overhype train, and Clyde comes under that due to injury and, and otherwise, and maybe the fact that you have the best tight end and at the time the best receiver on your team, so maybe you're not going to get as many receptions. That could change this year, by the way. But that's what I think led to a little bit of the bust narrative. And again, usually pretty pro Chiefs. The Chiefs have nobody to blame for that but themselves. I think they did Clyde a disservice by doing that. I, I completely agree. I, I think that that's part of the problem here in, is that the expectations were so high and the Chiefs clearly made those expectations higher by the way they handled uh, the pick and by the way they talked about it uh, and by the, the way that they leaked information about it to people like Peter Schrager and Lewis Riddick. Uh, and and created these really high expectations for this guy, and then, and then didn't use him in a way where right. he could be that productive. I think there. I think it's fair to criticize the Chiefs for that too, that they haven't used him in the way where he could be another Brian Westbrook. As I pointed out in the article, uh, the first year where Brian Westbrook really stood out was his third year. And Edward Zelaire Edward is just getting to his third year. But in that third year, uh, Westbrook had half of his touches as passes. And last year, Edward Zelaire had one pass for every six touches. So that makes it that, you know, if the Chiefs used him more as a receiver, I think we would see more of the production people expected from him coming out of LSU and maybe the perception of him would be much different than it is. Right. I agree, Pete, that the, that the, the expectations play a huge role in this. And that's part of the reason why people think of him as a bust. And part of that expectation comes from being a first round pick. I don't necessarily think that's fair. I think the facts show that there's not as much difference between talent uh, in different rounds of the draft as people presume they are. I, I personally, I blame Jimmy Johnson for that, but that's just <laughs> me. Okay. Um, so, but the expectations are what is driving this whole argument about Edwards Zolaire. If you just look at the facts of what he's produced, he's been an effective player, not as effective as we'd like, not as effective as we would expect him to be given all the circumstances, but it's not as if the guy hasn't produced anything. He has produced for the Chiefs, and he could still, in the next two seasons, perhaps three, because he was a first-round player, the Chiefs will have the opportunity to extend that rookie contract by another year, he still could be the player that they uh, that we've expected him to be. And I think that will totally change the, the narrative about him. Um, after all, like I said, Westbrook wasn't really hot until the third year. Part of that was because he was drafted later in the third round, 91st overall, I think it was. And for, of course, first round picks tend to be out there. They have all the advantages. They get playing time. They get they get looks in camp above other players. And so uh, I, I think that's part of it as well. I have a 2022 negative and a 2022 positive about Clyde. And then I'll let you kind of finish up with any other comments on this. The negative. 
I think there's a real chance that Ronald Jones gets the first and second down reps, and then he could fade in, into into the the back. Now I don't know that. I think it's a possibility. I think they might have brought in Rojo to to be that guy. They might have said, "Okay, Clyde has gotten better at pass protection. We can say goodbye to Daryl. We can make Clyde more of this dynamic guy. That maybe you know we'll keep him in on third down and sometimes run the football. Maybe sometimes we'll we'll dump it to him in, in a screen situation." I think it's likely it's going to be a running back by committee and maybe Clyde is the guy on some series and maybe Rojo's the guy on some series. We saw uh, Tampa use Rojo like that with Leonard Fournette where they would sometimes mm-hmm. yeah. alternate uh, drives. Uh, other times it would, would simply be Fournette. And so I don't know. I think if I think if Clyde is going to live up to the expectations you're talking about, especially in year three, which is when you're supposed to be coming into your own, He's got to lead the team in running back touches, and I question if that will be the case. Now, what's the positive? Well, I think without Tyree Kill, I think this new version of the Chiefs offense, which we really don't know what it's going to look mm-hmm, like, right? but I would say that whatever is behind the door, like if the Legion of Zoom was what we know, and this new offense is behind Mr. the mystery door, I'm taking the mystery door to be a better fit for the utilization of what Clyde Edwards Elair does than an offense that needs to run through the most fast player in the game in your wide receiver and the most dynamic tight end in the game. And, you know, Travis Kelsey is still going to get his touches, but I just think the rest of the offense is going to be so varied that this could play into everything the chiefs were talking about when they drafted him in the sense of, what he can offer you as both a running back and a receiver and not really knowing what they're going to be doing on each and every play. I just think there's a lot of mystery built into the offense, which I know head coach Andy Reid is going to love. And maybe (laughs) Clyde could be a big part of that mystery. It's just a lot of uncertainty there. And and so that's kind of what I'll leave you with when it comes to my points on it. Well, I, I think those are both excellent points. I think I agree that there's a possibility that, that Ronald Jones could, uh, push Edwards Alaire off the field in those first and second down snaps. That could happen. I don't think it's as likely as a lot of people do. Um, I think that th- I think there's an expectation among some that uh, the bringing Rojo on has been uh, a sign that they don't believe in Edwards Alaire anymore. I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's not like they. They got a guy for a lot. They're, what are they paying him? $1.2 million this yeah. year. It's not exactly, you know, a star player contract that they're giving Rojo at this point. And they have brought in free agent running backs, sometimes name free agent running backs all along. You know, um, it, this has been something that, that the Chiefs have done ever since Andy Reid has gotten here. They've had these guys come in. And they've had them in training camp, sometimes beyond training camp. Sometimes they've used them and sometimes they haven't. So I don't know that it necessarily means that Rojo is going to be the, the closer to being the bell cow at running back than Edwards Relayer is. It could happen, though. I agree that that is yeah. something that could happen. And I'll tell you, John, Mike, my, my bias is built into this. I really like I liked Ronald Jones in Tampa. Yeah. And I just didn't think he got a fair shake by being replaced by Leonard sure. Fournette. And yeah. I know he'll get a fair shake here. And yeah. so, I don't know. It, it just remains to be seen. We're, we're, we're taking stabs at this, right? So Right, right, right. It, it's, it's, it's just, you know, we don't know how this is going to play out. But I also agree with your other point. 
that this is a situation where they actually could use Edward Zelaer in the way that we all expected them to use him. And we might see a substantial difference in, in what he's able to produce. All right. That's a good discussion. Again, read the article at arrowheadpride.com. John Dixon, my partner here, making the case that Clyde Edwards Zelaer is no bust, which I agree with. All right. When we come back, we will go through my top five things, five to one, that I will be looking at for the first media look of Chiefs 2022 OTAs on Thursday. Stay with us. You're listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, we are wrapping up with the five things that I'm watching heading into Kansas City Chiefs OTAs and the media look that comes with Thursday and the next three Thursdays. We'll finish, of course, with the AP Twitter poll to see what you guys thought about the question that I asked this morning. But let's start here, John. I will count these down for you. I'm excited to go see these guys because I, I got to go to rookie camp. And rookie camp is fun for about 15 minutes. And then you say to yourself, well, 70 of these players I'm never going to see again. So I would rather go to the 90-man veteran included inclusive camp. But uh, that happens finally tomorrow. So I'm excited about it. And here we go. As it turns out, my number five thing that I will be watching for is on offense. Is Rojo getting mixed in first in drills? I know that it is months and months and months and months and months away. But who goes first in these drills matter? I'm, I'll tell you, and I'll give you a, a very obvious example. Chad Henney ain't going to be taking the first quarterback snaps, right? So it means something. And so I just wonder how they mix in their running backs now that you'll have uh, veterans in camp and you have uh, second and third year players and a Derek Gore and even a rookie in Isaiah Pacheco. I, I'm just wondering how they rotate running backs. I think that's a that's an excellent thing to be watching for. Just because we've been discussing it, <laughs> yeah, you know, we just spent quite a bit of time discussing the possibility that Rojo could be the guy. I think that's an excellent an excellent point. All right, so that is number five. Let's move on to number four, and we mentioned this one earlier today too. So it's working out here where we're paying off our teases. Darren Kennard and where he's lined up. Is this a situation where Andy Reid is so confident? in the fifth round rookie that he begins giving him offensive line snaps immediately at right tackle with the first team. I tend to think no, not for OTAs. I think that might be something that you see at mandatory camp and even more likely at training camp. Andrew Wiley would be the right tackle in the mix there, but it's important because if let's say tomorrow we get to the media look and Kennard is on the first team at right tackle, or at least as we sort of alluded to with the running backs, mixing in, that's a big-time statement that the Chiefs not only, I think, see him as a potential right tackle, but want him to win the position, which is a big part of this. I think that's a good point, too, but I would I would caution that that will largely depend on Niang's situation, right? If yeah. he's available, what do they do then? If he's not available, then yeah. your choices are Kennard and Wiley. I, and, I do not anticipate Niang on the field tomorrow, but right, you never know, right? Right. Well, that's part of why we go. And, and if he's dressed, if he's out there, and Kennard is getting those snaps and maybe getting mixed in, that tells us a lot more than it would if he's not available. That's the point I'm making. I yeah, sure. I I I tend to think it's still going to be a Kennard and Wiley thing, and what I expect to see is Wiley with the top team because Andy Reid tends to favor veterans, at least at the beginning. 
And they like Wiley. They like Wiley a lot. They like Wiley a lot. Or at at the very least mixing in. So remains to be seen. All right. That's number four. All right. Here we go. Number three. Trent McDuffie and how he's lining up. Are the Chiefs still pushing Lejarius Sneed inside in the nickel and dime sets? Or are they mixing McDuffie and Sneed? Or is it just McDuffie and Sneed locks into one of those positions that, you know, we saw Charvarius Ward do before he became a San Francisco 49er. Uh, McDuffie is a player that is expected to start week one. We have noted that we did see him shifting in during this rookie camp. Sneed was not there. So, you know, it is absolutely necessary to say that now that Sneed will be there. Is this something that he will, he will be doing alone? Will he be taking his turns at it? Uh, as the Chiefs start to figure this thing out, I think it'll be really pertinent to watch uh, where McDuffie is, is lining up. Excellent point. Again, I personally think that McDuffie is going to be the outside guy. Yeah. I think they want, I think they like Sneed on the inside. They want Sneed to get some snaps on the outside, which is right. why they had him it listed as the starter. And then he moves inside for, for most of the sub package looks, which amount to, you know, what is it? 80% of the different defensive scheme. But I think they like Snead on the inside. Now yep. they're probably going to want to see what McDuffie can do on the inside just to check off that box and to know what will happen if Snead gets hurt, for example, et cetera. Right. But I think they I think Snead is the guy they want on the inside. I think what we're going to see is McDuffie on the outside. Very quickly, too, like a, a good part point of this is yes, I mean, the Chiefs took him with the twenty first overall pick and expect him to start day one, but he's still a rookie, right? And right. it's easier for him to work the outside and learn on the fly maybe that slot position as the year goes on than just putting him in this really changing dynamic position where he where he has to play multiple roles for the Chiefs. I also think like a subplot of this, and this is not I'm not I'm not ticking to the next one. A subplot of this is okay, so I think all of us can agree. McDuffie and Sneed are two cornerback starters. Who's the other guy? Right now, I'd say Rashad Fenton, right? He had a really nice, quiet breakout year last year, but he may be pushed for that position. Is it DeAndre Baker? Is it Joshua Williams, the fourth rounder? Is it Lonnie Johnson, who the Chiefs traded for and and brought in? Is it uh, a Jalen Watson, who the Chiefs took late? Uh, I, I just wonder if you start to see something brewing there. I know that uh, as the Chiefs will always say at the, these press conferences, they really embrace the competition. But I think that's a subplot of the cornerback room. But I think it's I think it's Fenton's job to lose right now. I'd agree with that. I think he I think he really impressed the Chiefs last year. I think he's it's his job to lose. I think that's exactly right. And I think there's a couple of uh, players from last season that we're not even talking about. You know, your DiCaprio Boodles and. <laughs> And so on and so forth. They're, you know, they're, we're not Luke, even talking about those guys. What about Luke Barku? All right. Name. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they, they got a lot of options there to, to, to hold up the back end of that position group. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. You see the return of Devin Key in the safety room. In the there safety you go. Room. Exactly. Right. Number two. I mean, we haven't talked about the king, right? Patrick Mahomes throwing to new receivers. Juju Smith, Schuster, Marquez Valdez, Scantling and Sky Moore for the first time in person. Uh, if, if if you're thinking about the biggest Chiefs storyline this year, it's how are they going to replace Tyreek Hill. That's it. Right. I mean, it's the biggest Chiefs storyline. And and number two for me plays into that. 
How does he look? What is his timing? Does it look, does the offense look like something that can be replaced by Juju and MBS? How fast is MBS? I've never watched him run in person. Uh, Sky Moore, how quickly does he come along? Uh, and does he look like a day one contributor? Because you know we can almost know that uh, about a Trent McDuffie, but I think we have to see it in Sky Moore. And so I think we start that process on Thursday. I think that's a good point. And that's going to be the part that you're going to be able to get the most information about, in mm-hmm. fact. In a in drills like you're going to be seeing tomorrow because right. more uh, they don't do it they don't run a lot of running plays uh, right. in those drills it's mostly passes right and so that'll be one of the things that you'll be able to get the most information about in this very first uh, look at the team I think hopefully we wait until the preseason until we see any violence from Leo Chanel I know he loves violence <laughs> <laughs> maybe wait a few yeah. months right okay right and number one. And I, I gave this the slight edge over the last one. It could have been the last one. I told you why about the Tyreek Hill thing, but I'm just excited. I really like the way George Karloftis looked in this rookie camp. Just a man amongst the boys, as they say. Uh, I want to see him against the regular Chiefs offensive line and you know to see if he's doing to um, the regular offensive line uh, what he was doing to the rookies. And a part of that, too, will be is Orlando Brown there um i'm hoping that i get to see this but you know i I tend to think maybe not you know we we don't really necessarily know who are the tackles that he's going against they will be better than they were in rookie camp but is it even going to be the guys that we're waiting for uh but i just i want to i guess my number one thing is more carloff this especially now the veterans are around i think that's an excellent point too I, i i i'm excited about this player um i'm excited that it was the guy that spagnolo wanted uh, so I think that means a lot, you know, that this is the, what's that? It's so he said, but I, well, I trust well, him. Sure. Sure. But it's better than him just saying, oh yeah, we're, yeah, I'm glad to have him. You know, that he, he seemed very excited about it. And I like that. And I, uh, and it, it would help explain why there's been so little action on bringing in additional defensive edge rushers. Uh, during this offseason, which I know is a big question mark for a lot of fans. It's a question mark for me, too. If Veach was the one who said, this is my going to be my emphasis. We're going to do some stuff on the defensive line. And the those moves have not been very numerous. Um, and I and I get why people are concerned about it. And I think I think I'm a little concerned about it. But it might make sense if we go out there and see Karlaftis is amazing. Mm-hmm. And that will make that will make all of this this concern we have a little less of a concern. I think if we see that right away. Yeah, man, I would just would still love to see them add one more veteran sure. body to that yeah. defensive line. Sure. I just think they need it just for safety's sake, if nothing else. Right. Well, again, OTA's media starts tomorrow. We'll, we'll keep you covered at ourheadpride.com. A number of our contributors are excited to write uh, about some of the quotes that we get. Uh, it'll, it'll be the first time we talk to, some of the more popular veteran chiefs in a long time. So eager to see what everybody's saying, especially coming out of what has been a really, I think, transition type of offseason for the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, John, let's wrap up with our Chiefs Twitter question of the day. Don't look. As a Chiefs fan, I asked on Arrowhead Pride's Twitter, do you still believe Kansas City is the best team in the AFC? What do you predict happened mm. with this poll? It's either yes or no. I'm going to say... Wait a minute. Hold on one second. Yeah, we have to build in. It's not like across the board. Everyone that follows Arrowhead Pride Twitter is a Chiefs fan. I, right, I, think, mo- right. I think most 
And I only yeah. made the poll an hour so that these jerk fans from other bases <laughs> like the Raiders and the Bills and the Broncos didn't sneak in. And You're and always ruin. thinking, Pete. You're so always thinking. It was an hour long. So I think we got a pretty good read on this. Uh, but what do you, how do you think it went? I'm going to say... I'm going to say 40% yes. Way low. Really? Okay. 81% of Wow. <laughs> and we got 2,600 votes. Uh, believe that the Chiefs are still the best team in the AFC. Well, okay. I'm, 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 I'm not arguing with them. <laughs> now, the consensus around the, the, the league, I think, would be that the Chiefs are two behind the Bills. Um, which, to me... And I'm, you know, I'm assuming that a little bit. That's just like a little maddening, considering they lost to them in the playoffs. I, I understand the circumstances of it, um, you know, and I understand that the rule was changed, but I, I don't like looking around nationally and having the Chiefs behind the Bills, having beat them. Now you could turn around and be like, well, Pete, should the Bengals be ahead of the Chiefs? Well, I, I could handle that more, because yeah, yeah. the Bengals. What was the one thing that hurt them last year was the offensive line, and they improved that, and they went to the Super Bowl, and they almost won the Super Bowl. So if you want to put the Bengals ahead of the Chiefs, do it. I don't like to see the Bills ahead of the Chiefs, and I'm going to get off my Kansas City soapbox, but I could I well, could buy if, the Chiefs the best team in the AFC. Yeah. If the Chiefs had beaten the Bengals, if the Chiefs had gone back to the Super Bowl, the Chiefs would be ahead of the Bills. There's no question about that. I know. But I think that because no. they lost to the Bengals, it's easy for the media to go well right. yeah, that, that they didn't that they were overachieved last year and that that just showed the Chiefs were lucky to win that playoff game over the Bills and therefore the Bills are the better team. I, I I mean I see the logic that's being used there. I don't know that I necessarily agree with it, but I understand the logic of the position to put the Bills at the top and the Bengals, you know, a few spots behind the Chiefs as as we typically see in these power rankings these days. Peter I'm, King. I'm I'm pleased that Peter, so many Chiefs fans are in, though. Peter King not only had the Bills ahead of the Chiefs, but the Chargers as well. So we right. had our first national head in the first power rankings of the offseason to put the Chargers ahead of the Chiefs. It's, it's Chargers season. Uh, they always win May. <laughs> so congratulations to them. All right. That was a, a long show. We, we got through a lot of news and a nice Clyde discussion, talked about OTAs. Uh, we're going to keep the the conversation going here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. If you like the AP Podcast Network, if you like the AP Editor Show, please, please, please leave us a rating and a review. I believe you can leave a review on Apple iTunes. You can leave a rating on Spotify. So if you're a Spotify listener, a rating, I think it takes two seconds. That always helps as well. I appreciate you listening to the, the opening comments uh, about Valde and everything that happened yesterday. Our thoughts and prayers are, are with them. Open for more than that. Uh, we shall see. Thank you to Steven Serta behind the glass. For John Dixon, I'm Pete Sweeney. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show.